Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Going back now, this is a couple of years. This is a sermon series I did about 2018. It's my favourite ever sermon series, so I thought I'd go back and have another go. So thank you for giving me the opportunity and inviting you, inviting me to be with you today. Uh, like many of you, I've spent a lot of time over the years wondering what the purpose of my life is. What am I supposed to be doing here with my time on earth? I'm sure theological students do spend time thinking about that. Um, a couple of years ago, I came to the conclusion that the big theme of my life personally is the desire or calling to know God as fully as possible, firstly understand who God is, understand him and then experience him and help other people know him too. It's a knowledge of God. And if I look back over what I've done in my life, including going into ministry, that seems to be what that's about, that calling. And for me, that particular journey started in my head with my understanding of God and ideas. Even as a child, I was always thinking about the deep questions and always reading books, books, always more books, learning to read fast. And wanting to learn more about understanding God and how to think about him. And that's a good thing, I think. Um, Over the years, however, I've been drawn more and more out of my head uh, into the realisation that the goal of this is to experience the presence of God in my heart as well. Not just to have thoughts about God, but to know him personally. And I think that the Song of Songs, we had that first chapter of our reading today, it's about that. It's about what is it like to experience God in our hearts and what that means for us. Now, I've always been a fan of the Narnia stories by C.S. Lewis. Many of you may be, and I've read them many times since I was a boy. And if you've read them or heard about them, you know that the first story is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And I'm not going to hear any nonsense from anyone about the chronological order. (laughs) The Magician's Nephew is not the first book in that (laughs) series, okay? Let's get that out of the way. Um, If somehow you don't know, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is about some children finding a pathway into the magical land of Narnia through the door of a wardrobe. And inside that uh, wardrobe is a doorway to an entire new world. And I think that's a good picture for me of what the human heart is like. It's a small thing. Inside it, there's a world full of amazing things. And it's a world that's worth exploring. As I've preached on the Old Testament over the years, I've discerned what I think the theme is at the centre of these uh, writings. Uh, I believe that this book is about God's desire to live among his people or inside the creation that he has made and to be at the centre of the lives of people who are made in his image. And it's the story of God, this Old Testament, of him working with his people on the challenge of making that real. And as we read it in our time, I think we're challenged by this question, how do we become the kind of people or the kind of community that God can live in and that God can transform in our heart. But there is a question that comes after that or perhaps even before it in some way, which is why you would want to live that way in the first place. Why would you want to have God at the centre of your life? What's the benefit of that? Particularly because, as you know very well, it's a lot of hard work, really hard. It's the sort of process that will turn your life upside down, inside out, if you start it. Following Jesus is not easy, and so we need some sense, I think, of what the reward is or what the goal is uh, of doing that. 
And so I think that the Song of Songs helps us with that in trying to answer that question, why do you want to be a Christian at all? And if you are a Christian, why do you want to radically change your life so that it was constantly centred on God? And one of the things that drives me to explore this question is that I know for many, many Christians, and perhaps some of us here, that that question doesn't seem to have a good answer. Um, We may be faithful and committed followers of Jesus, but the life of a Christian might seem to us to be boring or joyless or unpleasant. Being a Christian can seem to many people like being trapped in a dull or loveless marriage. You're committed, you're hanging in there, but there's no real passion for it. And it's no wonder that so many people end up getting divorced from Christianity and looking for something else that's more satisfying. In that, in, my, in that case, from my own experience, what I think can be missing is then is this sense of the personal experience of God in the heart, the sense that Jesus is real and alive, his resurrection life is in us, and that we can have a direct spirit of, experience of the spirit of God, not just ideas about him, not just activity for him. Um, and this idea of direct experience of God, it's a topic we call mysticism, and my uh, supervisor over in the corner there knows this is an interest for me. Um, I know this is an area that a lot of people sometimes have trouble or reservations about, but I, I believe Christian mysticism is a huge field to explore. and There's a lot for us to learn about if we want to know how we experience God in a deep way. When I studied at Ridley, I frequently spent a lot of time in that section of the library, you know, so books, 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 I wanted to know. And for Christians, this kind of experience, mysticism or whatever word we give it, it needs always to be grounded in the Bible itself and the teaching and example that it gives us of understanding a relationship with God through Jesus. And so that brings us to the Song of Songs today. Now, I just want to reintroduce you or introduce you to the Song of Songs before we think about what our reading from the first chapter means. The Song of Songs is a book in the Bible that it feels a bit like naughty schoolboys got in while no one was looking and popped it inside. Um, Just for a joke, Um, because it's kind of surrounded by very serious books. So you have Ecclesiastes on one side, which is the most depressing book in the Bible about how meaningless life is and we're all going to die. And even when we're alive, it's pretty bleak. Um, And afterwards, we have Isaiah. It's a book of prophecy. It's about God. He's going to judge his people in the world and show his power in saving us all. And so in between Ecclesiastes and Isaiah, you have this book of love poetry. Now, we don't really know who wrote it. Well, I don't. It's sometimes called the Song of Solomon, seems to refer to King Solomon, a notorious ladies' man in the Old Testament. So maybe he wrote it or it dates from around that time. But regardless, if you read it straightforwardly, it has very little to do with God or with religion or anything spiritual at all, really. It's just about a young couple who are in love. And you can read it that way as a book about a romantic relationship. And I'm I'm aware that some people want to exegete it that way, give us advice about how to conduct our marriages. I'm not going to do that. But this book still for a long time has been actually considered one of the precious spiritual gems of the Bible. And many biblical interpreters have read it as a book of profound spiritual truth about God's relationship to his people. And that's how I'm going to interpret it for us today. If you want to disagree with me, you can challenge me over morning tea, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm right. So <laughs> give it a go. It's all good. Because for me, I think the reason is the Song of Songs is a picture of one of the most glorious and enjoyable experiences of human life, which is a true and passionate loving relationship. Anyone in the world who's ever been in love would say it's one of the greatest things that you can experience. It transforms the world for you. It transforms people who experience it. And, of course, we can't get enough of love stories, even today. 
And I think this is what the Song of Songs gives us. It's a love poem. It exalts this experience of love and the power that it can have for people. And people who have read it that way then have seen this as a symbol of the great delight of love, as something which may be the closest representation that we have of what it truly means to know God. The Song of Songs, if you see it, is right in the middle of the Bible. It's in the heart of the Bible. And so what at the heart of this Bible we find is a, a book which is a joyful, glorious expression of love, enjoyment for the pure pleasure of a loving relationship. Not the law, not the prophets, but a love relationship. This, it tells us, is what we were made for, to know true love and to know God's love. All the laws and the prophets in the Old Testament, you can see them as being written to hold this experience and surround it and keep it safe. That's what the Bible is all about. As some people have said, the Song of Songs is like the Holy of Holies in the Bible. The inner room of the tabernacle is around it, it's surrounded by the outer courts of the law and in the centre we meet with God. When you get into the heart of life where God is, what you find is this place of joy and beauty and satisfaction that lasts forever. So the Song of Songs opens with these words in praise of love. As the woman says, how wonderful it is to be in love and to receive love. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. More delightful than wine. So why does she choose wine? Well, if you think about why does, what does wine do to us? It intoxicates us with its taste and its warmth and the power that it has to change our feelings. It makes us feel good to do it, to drink it. And her love is like this, she says. To kiss her man is like this. It intoxicates her. She can't get enough of it. It's like a romance novel, isn't it? Now, you might struggle to see how this could be read in a spiritual way or whether it should be read in a spiritual way. You might say, do we have to spiritualise everything? Haven't Christians been too negative about the body and sensuality? Isn't it enough just to say how nice love can be? Well, of course it is. But the witness of God's people, of the church throughout the years, is that this experience of intoxicating romantic love, the feeling of falling in love and how amazing it is, wanting to kiss them all the time, it's one of the best and sometimes the only analogy that we have for what it's like to experience the love of God. People who have a deep encounter with Jesus say, it's a lot like this, a great kiss. The love of God is more delightful even than the love that's more delightful than wine, if we use that analogy. What it's like, I think what it's like to encounter God directly is spoken of only in a few places in the Bible, but I believe that the Bible teaches us that the natural human state and the state that God has made us for and will bring us again to when we're saved by Christ is an intense, passionate desire for an experience of union with God. Now, union with God is a complete and utter connection with his life and it's an intimate relationship, lifts a human being above our natural state into eternity. The Apostle Paul hints about that experience in 2 Corinthians 12, where he talks about the experience of being caught up into the third heaven or paradise. He had a revelation of God. He didn't know whether he was still in his own body or not. Sounds like having an intoxicating kiss, doesn't it? He was intoxicated by the presence of God, this union with God, this glory. And I think that's actually the goal of the Christian life. It's the goal of all life, of human life and of all creation, and it's often been said that the desire for this union with God, it's at the heart of the human experience. It explains our tragic nature and explains why we're never satisfied with what we have. We have a thirst more and more all the time and to, to have more and to burst every limitation and boundary that's given to us. If you'd like to read more about that theological theme of this sort of stretching forward towards our destiny 
to God's glory. A book I would recommend is The Life of Moses by Gregory of Nyssa. He speaks about that very well. Anyway, back in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, as you might remember, God has set eternity in the human heart. And so the passion then that we invest in love and in relationships of romance, it's a sign of a deeper desire for God or for the ultimate desirable thing, which is in our hearts, even if we're not aware that that's what a desire is for. So in the Song of Songs, the woman desires her man and his love. And we heard their reading about how much they desire each other and all the things that they love about each other. But of course, he also desires her, doesn't he? And he wants to be with her. And if we accept that kind of, that love of this kind can be a picture of our relationship with God, we say that not only do we desire union with God ourselves, but equally and of course more intensely, God desires union with us, with his creation. And I say this, of course, with confidence because we know the heart of our Christian faith is the incarnation of Jesus and that God became a human being in Jesus Christ. The incarnation tells us that God desires union with his creation and his people so strongly, like this lover desires his beloved, that he was willing to unite his divine nature with a human nature to take on a human life so that we could be united to him. And that is a profound love and union and desire beyond anything we could ever comprehend. More delightful than wine, even, if you can believe. As you know, of course, there are creeds and statements of faith that we've come up with over the years to explain how this could be. How could God unite with humanity? They use very technical terms, consubstantial, homoousios. But the Song of Songs says simply, this is what love is like. This is what love wants. A lover wants to be with the one he loves. And this kind of love that lovers experience is what God has for us. This is what we say in our marriage service. It says this is a picture of the union between God and his people. As the woman says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This is what we want. And this astonishing experience that God loved the world so much that he united himself with our nature to be with us, it's at the heart of the New Testament. And it's the good news that the apostles of Jesus were to spread throughout the world. And you can see that clearly in the opening lines of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, we testify to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. The disciples of Jesus saw God. They touched him with their hands and they experienced his personal love and union with them. That's the love that's more delightful than wine. And they are intoxicated enough with it that they want to spread that experience to other people and to bring their joy further. So that's the first couple of verses of the Song of Songs. It's an introduction to the theme of the book uh, for me. I've done eight sermons on the whole book when I preached it in my church. I'm not trying to get as much out of it as Bernard of Clairvaux, who wrote famously 86 sermons on the first two chapters of Song of Songs. Can you? That's your challenge maybe. But the Song of Songs is, I think, like, it's like the wardrobe in Tanania. There's a lot in there when you open it up and get inside. It covers a range of experiences that we have in our loving union with God. But you can see now the point of looking at the Song of Songs as a spiritual love song, and why I think it's important to interpret it this way. This kind of love is one of the most delightful human experiences, the experience of union with someone that we love and desire. 
And it's an image of the joy and experience of union with God. It gives us a sense of how God loves us, not dutifully, not grudgingly, but passionately, needlessly, heedlessly, intensely. God loves human beings with a passion that puts Romeo and Juliet or Bella and Edward and Jacob to shame. (laughs) Hard to believe, but true. That was more relevant, that reference, when I first said it. It's getting a bit old now, but it's okay. Um, And he calls us to the possibility of being intoxicated with his love. And that can be hard, though, can't it? Because retaining the fire and passion of love over time is hard. And, of course, we have to contend with the fallen world and with sin and hurt and things that make even human love difficult for us to desire. And for many people, I think love is not an enjoyable topic at all to think about. It's a source of pain for us and disappointment. The Song of Songs speaks about that reality as well at certain points. But it also reminds us of what love can be like and when we're failing in love. Because the reality is that for many of us, our heart is cold to God and it is closed to him, even if we're not aware of it. Even Christian people who are committed to following Jesus can have a cold heart toward him. And after the past couple of years, in the midst of all our trials and pain, many of us have become weary and sad in our faith. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus commends the church in Ephesus for their perseverance and faithfulness. But he says to them, though, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Perhaps they've drifted into just gritting their teeth, getting through it, perhaps resenting Jesus and the commitment that they made to him, losing the reason that they believed in the first place. It's very easy to do. And I think that the Song of Songs is an invitation for us to renew or to start a passionate quest for union with God and to know him and to receive the love that he's offering us. And that journey looks different for different people. We don't all have the same experiences along the way, and the journey's not always easy, it's not always good, it's not always pleasant. Even in the Song of Songs, the road of love is a bit rocky, as you know if you read the book. As Shakespeare reminds us, the course of true love never did run smooth. But mostly it's an invitation of a path to joy in this book. And so if you are sad on your journey with Christ, I'd encourage you to study the Song of Songs. I hope that we remember or we realise that our heart is a big place inside. There's lots of us to experience, lots for us to experience and to learn. And many of us are strangers to that place. We've never ventured inside because we're worried about what might be there when we get in. Um, the young woman, though, in the Song of Songs, she's aware of her heart. She's awake to her feelings. She says later, my heart is awake. I seek my lover. She was always open to love and her heart was alive and she was aware of it. So, so I think so can we be in our heart with God. God is calling us to wake up, find your true heart in him. In the last Narnia book, The Last Battle, they enter into heaven and they realise that it involves a constant journey of experiencing more and more of God. It's not going to stop. One of the characters says this, which I think is a good slogan as you study the Song of Songs, which is the journey to know God in our hearts. He says, I have come home at last. This is the real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life though I never knew it till now, come further up and come further in. Let's pray about that. We thank you, Lord, for this invitation to come further up into your heart and your life. And I pray for all of us here today that we would know the love that you have, which is more delightful than wine, and that we would experience your your tender and passionate love in all our lives as we go out of here now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.